Welcome to OCG Recovery Radio, where we discuss substance abuse treatment and recovery. You can listen live at blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG Radio. Please note that the views and opinions of our hosts and guests are not necessarily the views of OCG, nor is it meant to replace professional advice or the advice of your physician. And now, here's our show, Roach on Recovery, with your host, Orville Roach. Oh, this is not the uh, voice you expect to hear when the host is being introduced. This is your co-host flying the uh, flying the friendly skies, as it were. Uh, we are going to be live streaming our show in one of our facilities today, which is what the host is currently doing. He is setting that up for the clients in one of our facilities. And so it's just you and I until the host comes back, but uh, we are excited to be back. We're here mid-July. Summer is finally upon us here on the West Coast. Uh, We'll have to ask the host about his New York contingent and see what the weather has been like out there. Uh, But for those of us out here, I mean, we were still catching rain in June, mid-June, and uh, still some overcast and windy days, but feels like the heat is here to stay, and we are going to get a little bit of summer out here in the Bay Area. It has been extremely hot. The past week, and uh, of course, saying extremely, I need to be conscious about using that word when we've got the the man himself who will say that we don't know what real heat is, but the sun has been shining nonetheless. Uh, So we are going to do a little recap before we get our show going today, uh, as is par for the course. Um, Our recap will consist of a little bit of sports. Uh, I am going to be traveling in In the house. Oh, here is the the host himself. Uh, welcome, sir. Uh, I trust that we got the live stream set up and everything is working accordingly. Well, I have no idea. I've directed people to do what they need to do, and uh, <laughs> since, since I can't see it, I, I hope they got it. Uh, beautiful. I'm sure it'll all work out swimmingly. Uh, I was just letting welcoming the audience, letting them know that It feels like summer is finally upon us here in the Bay Area because it was into June and we were still getting rain and overcast weather, Um, but it feels like the sun is here to stay for a little bit and uh, was going to ask, and and you can fill the audience in on if that's been the case for New York or if they've had kind of an odd summer as far as traditional weather is concerned this time of year. Uh, Word on the street, it's been... uh... Unbelievably hot, unbelievably hazy, and unbelievably humid. That's that sounds like a typical New York summer then. Thank God we're huh. in California. Northern that's California. Exact. Northern California. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, that's it's exactly right. In, it's been hot down in central and southern California. It has indeed. Excellent. Well, beautiful. Um I didn't get too much else out other than we were gonna start with our traditional recap. We may talk a little bit of sports, although Kind of as we said two weeks ago, uh, this is kind of a dead zone in terms of sports for true sports fans. The casual sports fan can get by any time of year, but for true sports fans who follow the big three and even a fourth, if you want to throw hockey in there, this is is the dead time of year for sure, Uh, where there's not not a whole lot going. But Yeah, I mean, it used to be uh, after the Super Bowl, and in between the NBA All-Star game, that was like the dead zone. Um, mm-hmm. 
But now the dead zone is when the NBA Finals ends and then before training camp starts um, or after they finish their you know, mini camps, and there's that five-week period, which we're in the midst of right now, where, you know, baseball is still in the, you know, the summer doldrums, you know, the pennant races haven't really formed yet. Um, I believe the All-Star game was past Tuesday, or is it today? Uh, today, it is going to it's be today. today. Oh, today and today is Tuesday, what I mean the past Tuesday, I meant last Tuesday. But um, Yeah, yeah. Uh, so today's the all-star game. So that's usually around the midway point. So, I mean, no one's going to be paying attention until, you know, early September, maybe late August, if there's some pennant races. So it's, uh, yeah, the true blue sports fans got to make their own, got to make their own do. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that is exactly so, uh, right. I don't know about others, but I, I just spent my time, uh, you know, reliving the past, looking at YouTube clips of the glory days <laughs> of, the, of, of the Knicks. <laughs> yeah, you got to pull up the old highlights. That That yep. is hilarious. That is hilarious. Um, what was I going – oh, and so I did uh, reference briefly that – I mean, recap sports, not, not much to talk about. Uh, your Yankees apparently have a – have someone on their team by the name of Aaron Judge, who all the hype is about right now on ESPN, even on local radio here. They're saying this kid is the second coming. Um, you being a Yankees fan, I don't know if you've laid eyes on him yet. I certainly have not. I uh, wanted to get your thoughts on that. I have, and I'm not having any of that nonsense. Um, I, I, I'm, my guess is that uh, and I'm not downplaying his skills or his impact and all of that good stuff. Um, it's it's good copy. It's good news. It's good good ratings. Uh, we can surely damn use it in New York um, after the Phil Jackson fiasco. But um, look, the dude is a rookie. Yeah. And uh, he hasn't done jack yet. He okay. is leading the league in homers. I mean, okay, but still, I mean, you know. Take us to the playoffs and let's win the World Series, or let's you know go, go deep, or let's you know let's let's put something on the resume first. All right. Goodness Christ, everybody's getting crowned, you know, you know the next best or the you know you know Hall of Famer, and they haven't played in five years yet. True. Yeah, true. You do need to see it over an extended period, but you can't deny, you know, seeing talent like that, it looks like, or the trajectory would state that he, he's going to be the real deal. Yes, it does. I watched when they were playing, uh, I don't know if it was San Diego, one of those Southern California teams or, or the California angels. Um, and he, he does have that type of presence where when he comes up to bat, you do want to watch. Yeah, that's what I've heard. That's what I've heard. So that's good. Uh, I've got nothing to report on the Giants other than it's quite embarrassing to have the fourth highest payroll in all of baseball and have the worst record in the MLB. But that is where we currently sit. So, well, that's why they say there's an old saying in 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 life in 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 in, in corporate America. And when I say corporate America, I just mean in working America. Period. And of course, in sports, be kind to the people you meet on the way up. Because you'll meet the same people on the way down. <laughs> because it wasn't too long ago that the Giants weren't three out of five-year uh, World Series winners. 
and uh, now they are at the bottom of the heap for reasons, I mean, injuries and, and whatnot. And I think this goes to my theory, and I don't know if it'll play out with the Warriors, et cetera, because um, the theory didn't hold water. Well, it did hold water back in the 80s and 90s. Um, I think when you have a team that goes to the mountaintop, when I say the mountaintop, I mean to the to the finals or the championship, I'm excluding football argument to the championship okay. round or goes very deep in consecutive, consecutive, consecutive years. There is a wear and tear factor. Um, sure. And, and the, the only team of recent note that I can think of that had a, 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 a the longest run. And again, I'm excluding football is the 19 the, the Lakers the Showtime Lakers who went to in the you know in the, in the 1980s through 89 mm-hmm. you know went to I don't know what it was seven you know finals or whatever eight finals um and won five um and in and in all of the 80s it was either only three teams it was either the Sixers the Celtics or the Lakers right right um but there is wear and tear, and there is, you know, so the drop-off, you know. So you got Madison, your your star pitcher, Madison, um, you know, Baumgartner, which is the perfect name for a San Francisco pitcher, Baumgartner. <laughs> right, right, um, right. Because he's a bum and he's a gardener. Um, he's on, he, he is on the disabled list now, right? Uh, yeah, he is. He's supposed to make a start. Uh, like right after the All Star game, I guess is when he's expected okay. back. But yeah, he's been on the DL the whole time. But Basically, my point is, is you know the guy's been you know he's been like a workhorse throughout right, this right. run. This run, you know what I mean. And so it's inevitable that it's going to be a little wear and tear, a little breakdown. And all it takes is like losing chemistry or losing one player or whatever the case may be. And before you know it, you're not even competitive. True. Looking at the sure. team, they still have some quality players, and why aren't they competitive? But it's the way it is. That is the way it is. Um, I was also filling the uh, filling the audience in on my upcoming travel, which uh, I always, you know, we like to talk online um, uh, over the air here. I should say. About the flights, you know, everybody knows that you are very much into flying and that uh, myself and my wife particularly gets uh, the high anxiety going when it comes flight time. But I did say that I would share the itinerary with you over the audience. This is the uh, the big trip. This is the trip over, over the pond, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, and this might also play into when we will have our next show because I am set to leave next Friday and then won't be back until August 6th or 7th, I believe. Uh, well, so anywho, OCG, OCG radio makes no exceptions for producers, hosts, back, back office staff or whatever. The show must go on. <laughs> the, show, the show must go on. Yes. So yes, being the, uh, quote unquote resident, uh, Flight guru, um, you guys are about uh, less than a month out. 
from your departure? Uh, yeah, about nine days. Oh, nine days. Okay. Yeah, not this Friday, but next Friday. Okay. So I've got the itinerary with aircraft in hand for you. Are you ready for this? Yep. All right, so we will be departing at 10 a.m. Uh, Friday, July 21st from SFO and going into Newark. Uh, it's funny. Oh, it's listed as oh New York Lord. slash Newark, New Jersey. I don't know why they say New York slash Newark, New Jersey. Maybe they get their pick. The pilot gets his pick when he's approaching. No, no. Go ahead. But uh, EWR, Liberty Airport. That's, or, that's, that's, that's Newark. Yep. Uh, so we're taking a 757 uh, on the way there. So your thoughts on the aircraft? Beautiful. One of the best Boeing has ever made. All right. And it's 757-200. Don't exactly know what that specifies, but you, you probably the, would. The the. the and in, in this aircraft, the Dash 200 means its capacity. Okay. Okay. There you have it. Okay. So then that takes us to Newark, and we have a slight layover in the beautiful New Jersey. Uh, about an hour swamp. and a half there, it looks like. <laughs> in, the, in the New Jersey swamps. Go ahead. <laughs> in the swamps, yes. And then from Newark, we were flying into Madrid uh, and that we are taking a Boeing, a Boeing 767. Mm-hmm. Your thoughts on the aircraft? Boeing 767 what? Dash 300. It? Okay, good. 300 ER? Uh, no letters specified, just 767-300. Okay, so again, that's capacity, and usually ER would be extended range. Um, but it's really Madrid is not that far from the East Coast. So if you were going from San Francisco straight to Madrid, they could use the 767-300ER, okay. um, which has a longer, obviously, flying capacity. So you'll be comfortable on the 767. It's a wide body, two aisle plane. One, another one, you know, one of my favorites. Okay. Okay, and the, so the differences between the 57 and the 67? The 767 is a wide body, so it's it's a they call it a heavy. So it's okay. a two-aisle plane, so it's a wide-body jet. Not quote-unquote a jumbo, but it's a wide body. So they, it does okay. get the heavy, the heavy call sign. So whatever your flight number is, what's your flight number? Uh, oh, boy. I'm not quite sure where I would even find that. Oh, it's on United? Yeah. So if it's flight number 3150, it would be United 3150 Heavy. Oh, this is, oh no, it just sign. says UA51. Yeah, so it would be UA51 Heavy would be their call sign. Okay, I see. All right. And the Beautiful. reason they have to make that designation is because they got to let other planes know that are, either, that are coming behind it, that it's a, that it's a you know, it's a, a wide body so they know to stay a certain distance away so they don't get caught in the wake, turbulence. Right, right, right. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, and then on the way back, uh, we are flying from Rome, uh, Italy, into Toronto. And that, we're taking a Boeing 777-300ER. Okay. Well, all I can say is uh, enjoy it. Um 
Um, you do know that the triple seven from Malaysia is still missing. So. <laughs> yes, yes, I do. Indeed, I do. That was no. one thing where our eyes. I, and I know out. I keep and I know I keep saying it, but um, the, the triple. Well, I can say this specifically about the triple seven. I don't know if you've ever been on one. Not sure. Oh, sir, are you there? Are we having technical difficulties once again? I'm not sure what happened to the host. Um, I assume that he's having technical difficulties, but I also assume that we're still live and we can be heard by all. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick music break, a little commercial for you. Uh, try and figure out what exactly is going on with the host and his connection, and we will be back momentarily. Oh 
issues are. I just wanted to give you guys a brief update. Uh, looks like there's something going on with the server at Blog Talk. Uh, once again, we've had a pretty clean run here of about a year without any technical difficulties on Blog Talk's end, but it seems to be rearing its ugly head and gave us a message that it was disconnected. So uh, while we try and figure out how we can get the host back on here, we're going to play a couple more songs for you here, a couple more short commercial breaks. And then hopefully by the end of this, we will be able to get on and give you guys the topic du jour. So hang tight. Uh, We are working to get this fixed.
producer. We are back. We are back in action. Everything that I've said good about Blog Talk for the last year and change, I now take back. I did. I when when you dropped out, I did have to tell the audience before starting this next song that look, man, knock on wood, we've had a pl- pretty clean run we had for a good the past run. year. Uh, without the the technical difficulties rearing their ugly head, but once again, and mind you, that's not helping um, the superstitions that may or may not exist with my wife, who texted me as you disappeared. Orville's sound just disappeared right when he was talking about the plane that disappeared, <laughs> and then she gives me the scared face uh, emoji. So. Uh, I don't know what kind of an omen that is or if we can take that as any kind of omen. Well, but uh, here, first of all, I didn't know that uh, I was the one that wasn't being heard, so I kept talking because I couldn't hear you. So I thought, well, maybe you got kicked off and I was still on. So I kept talking about the triple set <laughs> until I realized uh, no. that neither one of us was on or I couldn't or, or I was off. Definitely. Yeah. I was on. They could still hear me, apparently. So, But we're back. We're back in action. So about the 777-300ER, what were you going to say? You said you repeated it before. I don't know if I've ever been on one. Is that the one that you say uh, pilots love because they gave it too much power? No, that's the 757. That's the the first one you're going to take. Okay. The 777, so what I was saying uh, while I was not being heard um, was that – if you've have flown a little bit and flown on different planes, this one is like unlike any other in terms of the takeoff because the thrust is unbelievable. Okay. Um, on the triple seven, and what I was saying is that you, there, you know that moment in time when the back wheels lift off the ground, and as a passenger on you know on the plane, you can feel in your seat like a, a, just a little weightlessness drop for like a microsecond. Yeah. The air. So the air gets under the wings and starts to lift. Okay? Yeah. But just there's a little bit of weightlessness. Well, you don't feel that in triple seven. When that nose goes up and it gets off the ground, it just it's like a rocket. Holy smokes. That's All the right. first I'll thing I noticed the very first time I flew on one. That there's no there's no dead spot on the takeoff. Okay. Okay. I'll have to uh I'll have to be aware of that, keep my awareness tuned to that. And then the last plane we're taking after we land in Toronto from Toronto back to SFO is uh, the same one that we had in the middle of the flight there, the 767-300. Okay. Well, you'll be, you'll be good to go all the way, we're, all the way through. We're good to go on all the big Boeings. Yep. Fantastic. Fantastic. So uh, what do you say? Should we, uh, should we hit them with the topic? Let's hit, let's get right into our topic. Anybody tell you that I miss practice? If, if 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 a coach say I miss practice and y'all hear it, then that's that. I mean, I might have missed one practice this year, but if if somebody say he doesn't come to practice, it can be one practice out of all the practices this year. That's enough. If I can't practice, I can't practice, man. I'm hurt. I'm hurt. I mean. Simple as that. It ain't about that. I mean, it's, it's not about that at all. You know what I'm saying? I mean, but it's 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 easy to to, to talk about. It. It's easy to sum it up. 
when you just talk about practice. We sitting here, I supposed to be the franchise player, and we're in here talking about practice. I mean, it, listen, we're talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. We're talking about practice. Not a game. Not a, not not the game that I go out there and, and die for and play every game like it's my last. Not the game. We're talking about practice, man. I mean, how silly is that? Man, we're talking about practice. I know I'm supposed to be there. I know I'm supposed to lead by example. I know that. And I'm not I'm not shoving it aside, you know, like it don't mean anything. I know it's important. I do. I honestly do. But we're talking about practice, man. What are we talking about? Practice? We're talking about practice, man. We're talking about practice. We're talking about practice. We ain't talking about the game. We're talking about practice, man. When you come into the arena and you see me play, you see me play, don't you? You see me give everything I got, right? But we talking about practice right now. We talking about practice. Man, I look, I hear you. I, it's funny to me, too. I mean, it's strange, it's strange to me, too. But we talking about practice, man. We're not even talking about the game, the actual game, when it matters. We're talking about practice. Alan, it's possible, though, that from where he comes from, if you practice, not you would be better, but your teammates. How the hell can I make my teammates better by practice? (laughs) (laughs) That, and again... You got to be a sports fan to recognize, and that's uh, that's timeless. Everybody, everybody is, uh, who's a sports fan knows that that sound clip right there. The most epic rant about practice in the history of sports, but it is applicable to our topic today, yes. which is about practice. Famous, so famous sound did, drop uh, there. Lead off with. Uh, Mr. Allen Iverson talking about practice. By the way, he mentioned it over 20 times in, in that two-minute two clip. Oh, yeah. Awesome. So talk about practice and how that plays into success in treatment in the therapeutic community and beyond. It ties into one of those old TC sayings about keep it simple, make it complicated. Because there's a lot of things that we do. When I say we, I mean not just OCG, but all others. That people coming in, especially in the residential environment, don't... um, understand the madness associated with the method and or the method behind what they may perceive to be madness. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I like to always start with the beginning to me, which is, the obvious, and when I say obvious, I don't mean that it's always obvious, but <clears throat> when we talk about it, it becomes obvious that addicts, when they're in their addiction out on the street, are not living the best of lifestyles. And usually one of the first things that goes by the wayside is sleep. 
and sleep patterns and normal normal sleep patterns and hours and getting appropriate sleep and all of that good stuff. And when you come into treatment, and again, I'm primarily talking about the residential environment, um, that's one of the first things that we try and get started is get back to proper sleep. So we get you to bed as early as possible, usually around 10 o'clock, around 10 o'clock, hopefully. But we get you up early, 6 o'clock in the morning, and we try and get that going repetitively every day, Monday through Friday, Monday through Saturday even sometimes, six days a week. And that's a shock to the addict coming in. Because their schedule may be on the flip side. <laughs> right, yeah. That's usually that's usually bedtime. <laughs> that's usually that's well, <laughs> you know, ten to six is usually their work shift. They work in hours, the addict hours. Right. That's right. And the uh off hours, the downtime is usually from six to two. Um, All right, right. So it's a shock to the system when that gets flipped around, you come into treatment. But <clears throat> Over, through time, give it about two weeks, it starts to, you know, the body adapts, as it always will, it always does. The body adapts, and you get used to getting up at 6 o'clock in the morning, going to bed at a reasonable time, okay? And as a matter of fact, when all is said and done in the TC, you know, hustle and bustle and day-to-day, it is hoped that you are so tired, if not physically, emotionally, and mentally, but you are so tired that by the time you know you get in your room and your head hits the pillow, you fall asleep in the middle of discussion with your roommates. Wake up the next morning, don't even remember what y'all was talking about to continue the conversation. So... It's the repetitiveness, i.e., the practice of restoring normal sleep patterns. And, yes, we know in real life that there are people who work the graveyard and the PM shift and all that stuff. We know that, okay? So we take all that into account, but we're not talking about that right now. We're just talking about the majority of people in society, you know, their operating hours are – Waking up early in the morning, taking care of business all, all the way through 10, 10 o'clock at night, going to sleep, and waking up again 6 o'clock in the morning. Would you agree, sir? I would absolutely That's, you know, agree. pretty much the norm, even though we know people who work the graveyard and work the PM shift and all that stuff. Sure, no, so that, we start, that's certainly accurate. Right. So we start with that, getting people back in tune with normal sleep patterns. We then try and replicate – the, the work day. So that, again, the working up at 6 o'clock in the morning, having breakfast, and getting on with the work day. And in the, and in the, and in the treatment environment, the work day is whatever consists of the structure for that day. And usually that day doesn't end until 9, 9.30 before you then, quote, unquote, our terminology off the floor. And out in the real world, that would be, you know, Turning, you know, turning in, you know, and heading to bed. Um, 
So we try and restore the normalcy of and replicate the workday. And what's behind that? Well, we want you to uh, not only get back used to normal, again, normalcy of getting up, going to work, going to school, going to something that's furthering yourself, improving yourself. And so in the treatment environment, we replicate that through not only the, the treatment things that we do that you that a client participates in, but other things. Everyone has assigned jobs in, in, in the facility, okay? And so when we're not doing a treatment-related thing, uh, a core treatment thing like a group, et cetera, they're doing job functions. And people work in the kitchen, people work in the business office, people work in the grounds, people work doing maintenance things, et cetera, et cetera. All to replicate what is considered, you know, normal living and to get out of and put in the rearview mirror the addict lifestyle, which doesn't consist of any, any of those things. Yeah, yeah. And then the third thing, but not the last, but the third thing to me in, in this three-headed uh, thing are meal times. Uh huh. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Because and the reason I say it's the third thing, but not the last, but the, to me those are the top three things in terms of restoring the addict to some normalcy in, in their life is sleep, structure, and then nutrition, i.e. meals. Because during the addict addict lifestyle, you're certainly not eating properly or eating on any type of regular regular schedule. So not only schedule-wise, but nutrition-wise, and et cetera, et cetera. So we try to restore that, and we try to go back to a traditional, and my hands are in quotes when I say traditional, because not in all cultures is that a tradition that people eat three meals a day. But we try and do that three meals a day, not only for uh, to restore some structure to the meal uh, uh, and nutritional periods, but also addicts don't come in in the greatest of health, and one of the ways you restore health is through nutrition. And so we do want them to eat three meals a day, um, snack on fruit and veggies in between, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so in, in our society over here in the Western Hemisphere, people get up, they eat breakfast in the morning, they eat lunch somewhere between noon and one, and then they have dinner sometime around between five and six. And of course, where I come from, where I was born in Jamaica, dinner is actually what we call here lunch. The afternoon, you know, the 12 o'clock meal is called dinner there. Um, and it's supper is what they call the evening meal. So different you know, different parts of the world call it different things. Same thing in sure, England. They, sure. they, don't, they don't call the evening meal dinner. Um, but we want them to have three meals, get some nutrition, get, and get also the practice, the repetition of this nutritional uptake, which was missing while they were in the addictive lifestyle. And this does play dividends. How does this play dividends? How do we know this pays, pays dividends? 
Well, when you are in the belly of the beast, it takes a while sometimes to notice change. So this applies to the staff and client alike. We're all in the belly of the beast together, you know, going through this experience together, this recovery thing together. However, when family comes in to visit and they haven't seen you for a couple of months and they get a look at you after having not seen you for a couple of months, they see the difference. They're like, oh, my goodness. You look so rested. You put on a few some pounds. You look healthy. Right, right. You look like you've been eating and sleeping well. In essence, you look good after a couple of months. And that's the result of just those three simple things. Sleeping, structure, eating properly. And although we don't spend a lot of time talking about those things, focused on them because they just have, you know, they, they just they just happen. They, they're just uh, an innate part of the TC experience, the residential treatment experience. But so much of the addict lifestyle is those three things going by the wayside. Now, when a person moves on and forward and transitions forward into, you know, into a new experience in their recovery. Things may change that may change their sleeping time, that may change their structure, okay? But we certainly hope that nutrition is maintained because someone may get a job that they're working, you know, 4 to 12, and so they're going to sleep at a different time of the day. Their structure is going to be different. Than, than the person who's working eight to four, et cetera. So we know that that may happen, but we, we hope that the person, as they've moved on into their new experience, that they have the tools to adapt and adjust, but to maintain still good sleeping habits, good structure, and, of course, good eating habits. But we instituted. No one thinks about it, you know, um, consciously. There is a, a, a method to this, and there's a reason to this. There's some thinking that goes in behind this, that you've got to practice going to sleep at a reasonable time every day and waking up at a reasonable time every day, different from when you were in your addiction. And how do we help with that practice? (laughs) We know that if left to your own devices, the addict, that it may not happen in the early stages of recovery. And so, yeah, we mandate, okay, lights out, bedtime. You know, we go back to the beginning. Yes, we treat you. What do we say? We go, we strip everything away and we treat you. Almost like an infant or a toddler. We tell you when to go, when it's bedtime, when to wake up. It's all for a reason. Different from what they may do in the correctional facility. Right, yeah. Which is, which, which is all about control. 
You know, everything they do is designed behind control. That's not what. That's not behind what we're doing. We don't say we want you to go to bed at ten in order just to control you. No, we want you to go to go to bed at ten to get used to going to bed at a reasonable time. Because when you were out there using, you were going to bed at two a.m., three a.m., four a.m. We want you to wake up at an early time, six a.m., six thirty. Well, why do I have to wake up so early? Because in the real world, if you start working or if you have kids and you have to get them ready for school, you're going to be waking up at 6 o'clock. Right. 6.30. Kids got to be at school 8 o'clock, 8.15. You got more than one. You got to get up first, get yourself together, and you got to get them up, get them together. Shoot. When my kids got old enough to dress themselves and make their own breakfast, I... That saved me about 20, 25 minutes of sleep. <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, good stuff. And the cold was a was a milestone. That was a milestone for me. Uh, that's, that is good. And then when they finally got to high school and were able to take, you know, take, transport themselves to school. To my New York brother, and I know that's blasphemy because you know kids back east are either on the school bus or on the city bus. No one's being driven anywhere, right? Right. Unless, unless you live on Long Island or in Manhattan, and you take it, and you're going by taxi. But everywhere else, you're either on the school bus or the city bus. But of course, out here, mass transit isn't the same. So you're, you know, you're driving your kid. If, in, if the school is not in walking distance, you're driving. Them. Right. Right. Very true. So you got to we 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 enforce initially the practice of going to bed on time at a reasonable time at a certain time and waking up at a certain time. And eventually the peers, i.e. the roommates, enforce it. And then eventually through adaptation, the body gets used to it and before you know it you're just waking up at the same time every day. Just through normal adaptation. And another thing that we know, as we talked about before, is that you get – it's our hope through the, just through the design of the structure that you're just so tired at night that you just, boom, fall asleep. Yeah, you're out. You're just out. Mm-hmm. And again, whether it's you're physically tired, mentally tired, emotionally tired, you're just out. I mean, some of the best sleep I've ever had is when I was in daytime. <laughs> <laughs> right? Very yeah, true. So yeah, you are out quick. Like a light. And uh, there's, and for me personally, when, when, when I was in treatment, the nightman coming in and waking you up, you know, shocking you awake because it wasn't, you know, hey – you know, it wasn't like, uh, you know, birds whistling in your ear to wake you up. It was, you know, 6.30 wake-ups. Let's go. Feet on the floor. Almost like in the Army. Which wasn't – it didn't bother me because, you know, my father, being the policeman that he was, you know, kind of woke us up that way. He had a very yeah, baritone yeah. voice. So I don't know if it was intentional, but, you know, when he came in the room, just opened the door, you know, Time to wake up, you know, kind of shocked you out of sleep. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so, uh, 
especially on Sundays when it was time for church. He wasn't playing around when it was church. Um, but over time, you just adapt and you go to sleep, wake up on your own. That's the hope. We we hope that uh, you know, especially you know, back in the day when people were in treatment longer, that you know, after six months, we still didn't have to wake you up. You know what I mean? That you would be by the time the yeah. night manager came in at six o'clock, six thirty, that you know the room's already there's already movement going on. You know the room strength is up. Somebody's already up, and people are gradually coming to life, which is what would normally happen. We then set into into play the practice of the workday, which again just comes about through the normal daily structure, whatever it may be. Um, and again, initially we have to enforce it because people aren't used to it. A um, little bit different from people who come out of institutional environments, i.e., jail or prison, and if they've been there for a while or they're or they're used to being there, okay, they can do the structure very easily. And my hands are in quotes when I say do the structure because right, they're, used to, to. they're used to doing a structure. Correct. Correct. Whether they're actually uh, engaged part in participating is a different thing. Is a different thing. There's a difference between doing the structure and participating in the structure. And of course, what we want is participation. But you know, you walk in the door first day. You know, want you to engage. Um, and sometimes it has to be, you know, external pressure has to be applied. Sometimes by staff. Sometimes by the hierarchy of the house, peers, et cetera, roommates. But, you know, you got to be a certain place at a certain time within the facility. And it's repetition every day. You know, the, the thing, certain things may be the same. So, you know, lunch, you know, breakfast is the same time. Lunch is the same time. Dinner is the same time. But throughout the day, there are certain things that are occurring that might be different on different days, but they might occur on the same day. So that there might be a group every morning at 9 o'clock or a meeting every morning at 9 o'clock, but it might be a different group or a different meeting. But there's always something happening at 9 o'clock or something happening at 8 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, etc. And on and right. on. Yeah, every minute so, of every day, essentially. Right. And so... We are trying to mimic and, again, practice engaging and participating in some sort of a structure. Now, when you get out there on your own, outside of the treatment environment, you're going to have to create this on your own. Create your own life, your own structure that you engage in and participate in. But from practicing it in the treatment environment, Remember how I always used to like to call this the, the treatment environment, the Michigan Proving Grounds. This is where you practice the things that you're going to utilize and put in the place outside of the treatment environment. Right. So by practicing engaging and then participating and or both in a structure, you get used to a structured life, and then you learn – because we certainly are going to tell you that when you are when you move on and transition to your own independence out there, that you have to put into place a structure for yourself. 
What that looks like is entirely up to you. We're not going to tell you what your structure should be outside of the treatment environment. We're just saying that you're going to need to have one. And to each his own for various reasons, which we might talk about in another day. We talked about the meals, the practice of that, um, and that that needs to continue. Now, there's a more in-depth thing that needs to be practiced. And that speaks to another core of the treatment environment, and that is the clinical aspect of treatment, where we are learning about, talking about, verbalizing, articulating our feelings, our life experiences, our goals, our achievements, our methods, our actions, etc. And putting all of those things into repetitive practice, how often do we say? And we say it so cavalierly, and we say it so loosely, we say talk about your feelings. Or if someone is going through a rough spot, a rough period, and we say you got to talk about it. And again, it sounds very simple. It sounds – it's not that – you know, it doesn't sound very deep. Okay. But until a person puts that into practice, they don't get to experience the result of what we're trying to tell them that when you do this, this is what will be the result. When you, when you practice talking about your feelings, talking about your experiences, you will experience the relief, the emotional relief that you're seeking depending on what it is in due time. Nobody, that may not happen immediately, of course, but it has to be practiced. And I would say more than 50%, Mr. Producer, you can tell me your opinion from your historical perspective, more than 50% of people who come into treatment have a very difficult time, you know, talking about themselves, their feelings, their life experiences, etc. And so this is something that has to be practiced significantly. And you said your estimate was more than 50% have a difficulty yeah, with I'm, that? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm being conservative <laughs> or, or, or I'm being scared. Yeah, that's very, more that's than very conservative. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's probably closer to 80 Right, right. I shouldn't say I was being scared. I was being uh, – since I don't gamble, I, I was being ultra-conservative. Yeah, the safe bet. The safe bet. The safe bet. There you go. I was being safe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably far more than that. So it's something that it, you know has to be, and 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 we as staff probably get more involved and and urge more involvement from peers in this arena because we know that this is one of the key and core aspects of. Uh, of successful recovery is the engagement and participation in really talking about you, your feelings, your life experiences, and how they've made you feel, what your aspirations are, your goals are, how do you plan on going about achieving them? All of those things take practice 
in actually doing. I want to emphasize that. Take practice in actually doing. Because a lot of people walk in the door. And I remember this like it was yesterday. One of the things they used to emphasize, they would say, Daytop is a self-help program. That means you have to go get your treatment. That's right. No one's going to, you know, lay out a 12-course treatment meal for you on the table where you can, you know, take partake of it. You have to go get it. And basically what they meant is you got to participate, and participating is sharing, talking, uh, listening, confronting or care-fronting your peers – giving advice, taking advice, giving suggestions, taking suggestions, holding people accountable, holding yourself accountable. All of that takes practice. Addicts aren't used to doing that. Or or it, or they may or some people who were used to doing it have gotten away from it and have to you know reassimilate themselves back into that type of existence. Of practicing those things And all of that has to happen While you're in the treatment environment It can't, it can't start once you get out it has to happen while you're in I agree with that So when Mr. Iverson says in that clip we played 20 times talking about practice (laughs) there are so many things which aren't really conscious when you're in treatment that you have to practice on a daily basis and a number of things which are conscious and we know they're conscious because as human beings and at an addict specifically, um, there's a conscious effort to not do them. And so there has to be external pressure applied. And when I say external pressure, I don't mean in a negative way, negative external pressure, but I mean positive external pressure to try and convince, kind of persuade that this is why you need to do this because this is what the result will be if you do do this. And, of course, that's where trust comes in, trust in your environment, one of our unwritten philosophies, that, you know, and blind faith. You've got to trust and you've got to believe that if you do take a risk and try this, if you do take a risk and try this, and then doesn't that just bring into, bring into, into, the, into the fore another one of our unwritten philosophies, uh, no free lunch, because if you take yeah, that risk yeah. – and do this, the end result will be the things that we're talking about that you're going to get. That's right. But you got to put in the work. Got to practice. That's right. So we have a group that's been around in the TC for over 50 years called Encounter Group, where people get to uh, vent their emotions on their family members for things that may have occurred during the week. 
And one of the things that why that group was developed way back when was for addicts to get practiced in venting their emotions without first without any intellectual interference. So it's just pure emotional venting. Meaning so whatever comes out comes out. However you say it, it's said. If it's mean and ugly and vulgar, so be it. But it's just gonna come out. And we want it to come out. So that's part one of that. Trying to get the addict to practice just venting their emotions. Because we know everyone has emotions, we know everyone has feelings, we know everybody gets triggered. So getting them to do that. Now, I'm sure, Mr. Producer, from your experience, you've experienced many people coming in the front door who have said these famous words. Well, there's really been nothing that's really uh, pissed me off. So I really don't have a reason to. <laughs> yeah, to, right. Yeah. You know, participate in this group here. And then, of course, through the natural evolution of things in the treatment environment, the residential environment specifically, before the month is out, that person is I, – I can't think of a person, maybe you can, that has gone more than 30 days without – or has lasted 30 – outlasted a 30-day period without venting an encounter group. Eventually, uh, that, it was, that if if it wasn't something externally, meaning that had you know something had, an experience prior to treatment, that it finally something finally got to them in treatment. Someone finally enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or the same person pissing them off, and it's usually a roommate or your big brother or big sister. <laughs> you know, usually the first culprits. That finally you can't take it anymore, and you finally let go on them, which is what we've been waiting for. We've been waiting to see the human side come out, and not the uh, you know not the uh, the image that they're trying to portray that you know, everything is okay. I don't get upset. Nothing angers me. Nothing bothers me. Shoot, I dropped yeah, the double my. I dropped a slip on my big brother after about 10 days. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, usually not holding out for, for too long, and I, I would agree with you. I would say unless, you know, I can see that in some clients who who maybe do make that 30-day mark or beyond, it's just something about their natural kind of temperament um, that that wouldn't change regardless whether they were getting high or not, just kind of the, their personality. Um, but, yeah, no, for the most part, you, uh, you, you, you're going to expect maybe two weeks tops. <laughs> yeah, because what I, the, to me, the big, you know, the big brother or the big sister, you know, constantly, you know, telling, no, you're not making your bed right. You got to do it like this or, you know, no, you know, this is how you got to sweep the room. This is how you got to fold your clothes. No, you're not, you're not doing it right. Constantly, constantly, constantly. And, you know, you might be dutifully 
you know, saying, okay, yes, okay, all right, thank you, you know, thank you, thank you, thank you, whatever. But at a certain point, you know, it's it's going to, uh, the cup is going to spill us over, and you're going <laughs> to, mm-hmm. you, know, you, mm-hmm. you know, it's going to get to you. And it's, and it's supposed to get to you, and that's the beauty of it. Now, they're not doing what they're doing to, to purposely trying to get to you. I'm saying it's through the evolution of the process that it's supposed to get to you. It's supposed to get you upset that someone is telling you the same thing over and over for the last two weeks. And you get tired of it. Even if they're correct in what they're saying, you still get tired of it. As a human right. being, you get sick and tired of it. Dude, how many times are you going to tell me how to make my bed? So. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't really matter. To, we want them to – We want. To, I know we've gone past the, past the top of the hour, but we did have technical difficulties. We want the person to, to get that first engagement in encounter group, right, and um, get the practice of venting, okay, and then hopefully, as, as time goes on, we get the practice of learning to name how to name our feelings, verbalize our feelings, and articulate our feelings in an appropriate manner at the appropriate time. So, you know, that's all things that we eventually want them to practice in the treatment setting. So that's just diagramming in terms of just talking about that one group experience and how you evolve in that group and through practicing certain experiences that you have, but with the ultimate goal being learning how to verbalize what what my feelings are and respond to them appropriately at the appropriate time. And so like we say in, in, in our, using our lingo, we say when you're on the floor and so taking it outside, when you're in society, you're not going to be able to just, you know, Blow your stack whenever you want. Whenever you want, at any time. <laughs> exactly. That's well said. That is well said. There's a time, there's a place. And so you may have to hold your belly, hold that emotion until the appropriate time and the appropriate place. Or you may have to verbally express yourself in a manner that's appropriate for the setting that you're in. So you could be very pissed off, but you're expressing it in an appropriate manner for wherever you are. And then you have to find some other means to dissipate the actual energy that you may be experiencing. Which may, you know, maybe later on when you're talking with a, you know, a buddy or something, you might energize, you know, the conversation to kind of get the energy out. But in that moment, you might say, you know, excuse me, you know, can you stop doing what you're doing because, you know, it's bothering me? But you really want to say it a different way because you really feel it a different way. But all of that has to be practiced. And as you, as you noted, some personalities have to practice it more than others. People who are introverted and have a quiet nature by nature have an easier task with that than the extroverts who are usually more boisterous and outgoing and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, have to, you know, hold their tongue, practice holding their tongue. So both have to practice something. 
The extrovert has to practice holding the tongue. The introvert has to practice speaking their tongue. That's so yeah, that's okay. Yeah, oh, that that's true. That that makes a lot of sense, actually, when you say it like that too, because that speaks to the point I just made about folks who have a a natural kind of temperament about them, in which they're. Uh, you know, I was speaking to the end of the client where the what you might be describing as like the introvert, right? And then practicing holding their tongue versus expressing their tongue. And then the ones who naturally might not speak up, that would speak to that point that I made. They're the ones that have to practice speaking up. Right. Right. Exactly. All right, sir. We are 15 minutes past the top of the hour. Let's call that 15 minutes to time as blog talks uh, – Technical difficulties. But, um, exactly. I'm about done. Perfect. Perfect. Ah, I thought it was another, uh, obviously, just uh, another topic that really hits home but, and is very applicable but to you know folks what, in this you know, environment. You know what this means, though? Like, every show where we've had a technical issue with blog yeah. talk, We've we've eventually decided at some point in the future to redo the show. Who knows? Six months, eight months, nine months down the line, we'll redo the show, redo this topic without yeah. interruption. <laughs> All right. Agreed. Agreed. All right. We are going to take a quick music break. This one actually is pretty brief. Uh, we do see we have some callers on hold who are looking to participate in the Recovery Sport Time segment. We will get to you guys in a moment. Enjoy the music for now, and we will get to Recovery Sport Time next.
Coming up next is OCG Radio's Recovery Support Time, where our hosts provide support and guidance for your recovery-related questions and issues. Recovery Support Time, where it's our time to help you. For action in the recovery support time segment, uh, we do have a couple of callers, but I assume, Mr. Host, you'd like to start with the usual. Well, actually, I was going to say, let's do our call. For those of you longtime listeners, you'll know just how much gratification I got out of that one right there. <laughs> that was a good one. You got me mid sentence. Uh, yeah, we can do the first couple of caller, or you, we can take the first caller on the roll of the dice, and I can screen the second caller as you take the first one. All right, let's go with uh, welcome to Road Chum Recovery. Can I have your first name, please, in your hometown? Hello. 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 Can we have your yep? Yeah. Can we have your first name, please, in your hometown? How can we help you? Um, I wanted to ask a question. Go ahead. About recovery? Okay. I wanted to know how you not get bored while you're an outpatient and you're so fresh in uh, the residential outpatient and um, get distracted and keep yourself busy. Like in um not want to rush to go back out into the to work and stuff. I'm not clear on your question. Okay, so my question is how do you focus on your recovery and not want to rush out so fast to the real world? How do how do you do it? How did you do it? Oh, well, the answer is actually in what our show topic was about today, which was about practice. Yeah. <laughs> so when you get 
when you get further along in your recovery process, and are you in an outpatient phase right now? Yeah. Okay. And so you have to put into place, or you should have in place, okay, mm-hmm. your complete regimen of your structure, your things that you're working on in terms of whether whether it's employment, school, or whatever it is, okay, of that in, that encompasses the whole structure of what your day is. And every day may be different. It may be the same. I don't know, okay? But you should have built up enough practice time that this becomes second nature. And that helps you not to veer left or veer right and get distracted. You're focused straight ahead by step, day at a time, doing the things you need to do. You can only get distracted if you allow yourself to get distracted, by the way. Yeah. You have to own you have to own it. It doesn't it's not anyone else's or any other thing's fault. But having having your, having those things in place minimizes the opportunity for one to become distracted, even if there's craziness going on around them. Thank you. Did, I, did that help? Yes, it did. Okay, good. Thank All you. Right. I'm You're very welcome. Bye bye. Bye. Bye bye. Mr. Producer, practice. <laughs> if we yeah, had, she's it, right into the show. Her question for sure. Yeah, so you're gonna have to. We're gonna have to. Uh, by the way, uh, add another clip with Mr. Iverson just saying that one word. Yeah. Right. <laughs> or that one. Or that one phrase. Exactly. I agree. So, so we'll have some editing homework. All right. Let's go to Connor from Burlingame. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you. Hi. Thank you for having You're me. You're welcome. Yep. So. How can we help you, sir? My qu- yes. My question was, I understand how in uh, relationships, within at least the first year, they can get you in a lot of trouble during recovery for obvious reasons. But my question was, how does casual sex come into play in your recovery? How does it, how does it hinder it? How does it destroy it? Et cetera, et cetera. See, to me, you're mixing a physical act with – when I say mixing, I'm talking about – because you first mentioned about relationships, then you talked about casual sex. Correct. And those two are, to me, two separate things. Yes, likewise. Okay. So casual sex is just a a physical act. And your question is, well, does that – will either – and correct me if I'm wrong. Is your question, um, does, how does that – how will that physical act impact my recovery or will that physical act impact my recovery? Yes. That's, the first that's or the second one? Uh, the second one, I would say more The second so. one. You know, Actually, that's, and the first, to be honest, both of them. I mean, uh, you know. Okay, well, well – 
for me, and Mr. Producer, you can chime in on for, for you. For me, that's more of a moral question on how you view casual sex. Okay. Because if 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 you know, I'll give you two examples. Let's say it's for you, it's no big deal. It's not an issue to to have casual sex. You don't see anything wrong with it. Um, and you engage in it and uh, with willing partners and so on and so forth. And Absolutely. there's, there's no, um, uh, no negative residue on either side, quote unquote, then that falls under no harm, no foul. There's no moral issue with you, no moral issue with the other person, etc. Somebody else may have a moral quarrel. You know, they may, and the moral quarrel may, and it may not even be a religious moral quarrel. It may just be, you know, you should be involved. You know, you're gonna be, have sex with someone. You should be involved with them to some level or on some level, et cetera, et cetera. Well, absolutely, yeah. It you, you know, know it involves a certain degree of trust, of course. You know, so it's really, uh, you know, up to the individual. Whether or not that has an impact, again, depends on whether or not it's a, it, it presents a moral quandary for the person. If it does, and they still engage in it, then they have to deal with the, the, the repercussions, the feelings that they encounter behind it. And it'll be negative feelings because obviously they have a moral issue with it. So if you don't have a moral issue with it, there should be no negative residue. Yeah, for me, I mean... I've never really come to any moral issues. At least I never had one. But I can't right. understand how other people. But this question is for myself. So yes, with that, you know. And it's not well, a judgment else, question. You know? <laughs> yes, and it's not a ju- and it's not a. Uh, not a moral no one else question. can make a. Yeah, no one can make the judgment. Exactly. And we're certainly not making a judgment. We're just saying that if you're okay and the other party's okay. And there's and there's not going to be any negative residue. Then that's that. Got you. Got and you. and as a result, there should be no negative impact to your recovery, well, which is what you were you. asking. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what I was asking. Okay. All right. Are we good? All right. We're good. Thank you All very right. much for having me. You're- you're welcome. Bye bye. Bye bye. Now for a second there, I thought he was going to get me rolling on the relationship part. <laughs> no, yeah, he didn't take it there. Um, and you know, questions that we get frequently. A lot of those pop up in the X Files too. Um, but we yep. typically take a similar stance on that. But yeah, he didn't take you down that rabbit hole, the relationship one. You could have. Probably hammered him over the head with another 15 minutes there. No, yeah. Well, let me, speaking of X-Files. Let's do it. I got a couple of good ones. Uh, This is Paco from Union City. Paco. My girlfriend smokes meth, and I'm trying to get sober. What should I do? Well, for starters, I wouldn't participate in smoking meth with her. Step number one. <laughs> that would be step the first one. step. Yep. 
That's well, a tough one on a serious note, but I mean, we, we've gone it's, down it's this a, road. We know what the take is. Yeah, well, and to clarify what's tough. What's tough is not, is not what the answer is. What's tough is, is, is putting into action what you actually yeah. need to do. Right. Because the answer is, well, if, uh, if you're trying to do the right thing and she wants to smoke meth, you got to move on. So there's no um there's no gray area although those in recovery especially you know new in recovery like to institute a gray area or build a little a little fence that they can hang on to and you can't. You're setting yourself up if you allow a gray area to exist. The, the, the person on the other side, the girlfriend who's doing the methamphetamine, what she's actually doing, and this is the difficult part, especially for guys, guys especially, but all humans experience it, but for the guys especially – the difficult part about this is that her act that she's doing, you're trying to clean yourself up. You're trying to do the right thing, and she's saying, no, I'm doing what I'm doing. Do what you do. I'm doing what I'm doing. Well, what is she doing? She's rejecting you. Yeah, That's what she's doing. But that usually flies right over the head. That's the core, core feeling that should be spoken about when you're in a situation like this. Because that's what she's doing. She's rejecting you because right now the methamphetamine is more important. And you've got to step off or step out and and go and do what you got to do. And maybe role model for her the right thing to do. And who knows what may happen? Who knows? Who knows? That's all I'm saying. Very true. Okay. I'm going to take another quick X-Files, and we'll hit back to the phones. Perfect. Cindy from, Bur- from Burbank. Is it true? And you know we don't shy away from tough questions, but so i got to ask it. Is it true right. AA? Is it true AA is a cult? Woohoo, yes, there we go. There's a heavy one for you. I'd first like to make a disclaimer. <laughs> no. <laughs> Mr. Producer's already started laughing. You don't even know what I'm going to say. No. Because no. I said disclaimer. Well, if, if, if this was a question asked live, I would have done what we normally we don't normally answer a question with a question but sometimes we do if necessary but this would have been one of those cases because i would have said who said that that was true because she's the premise she's starting from is that that's what it's i true. so funny we're on the same page that's exactly what yeah. i was going to ask was that as her baseline yeah so but i i will answer it in the context of hey i heard that's a hey, someone said you know and I get where they're coming from. They even, I've even heard people say that about Daytop, OCG. 
and other treatment programs. Okay, I've even said it. If I see certain things happening, I've even said, "Do that. Those things should not be happening because why? Those are cultish to me." Right. Okay. So, on the face of it, AA is not a cult. Okay, and I think where that comes from is because AA has a religion-based aspect to it, and that sometimes rubs people the wrong way. Mm-hmm. And and not only the religion-based aspect to it, but it has, and for good reason, because trust me, AA can put up. Any empirical study that exists out there, its track record of saving lives and getting people clean and sober to anything, against anything, okay? So, you know, you can throw all the daggers you want, but it can put its track record up against any anything. But other than the religious aspect, it ha- it's, it's kind of rigid in its – principles in its steps but with good reason you got to be for addicts is it everybody's cup of tea no i've always said you've always said mr producer we've said it on this show sometimes you can pick and choose what what, what apply applies what doesn't apply you let it fly you don't like the religious right. aspect of it you don't like the religious aspect of it do the other steps because the other steps have meaning to them So you take what you can use, let go of what you can't use, but AA as a, on its on its face, no, I don't believe it's a cult. That's my personal opinion. I would happen to second or agree with that opinion. I don't okay. believe it's a cult. Also, um, like you know, I, I guess the biggest point that I could take away from how you answered that question is the same thing that um, I've said to clients. Is, you know, not, we aren't, and you've said this several times, human beings aren't widgets, right? There's no cookie cutter method that is going to be a perfect fit for every single individual because recovery can happen in a multitude of different ways and a number of different branches. Um, But what you can do, what any human being can do who's in a situation where they're going through recovery or seeking to improve themselves is... Be open-minded to whatever process is being brought to you and then apply the things that you find are helpful to you and don't apply the others. But the key to that is you have to be open. You can't pick and choose right off the bat when you hear a particular method. That's not going to work for me. You have to be genuine enough to give it a real try. And then once you've given it a real try, have you know an honest conversation with yourself and, uh, and look at whether or not you believe it helped. And if it did, then you're going to continue to use that. And if not, then you, uh, you know, put it on the back burner and look for something else. Yep. How are we doing on time, sir? Uh, we're good. We have about 22 minutes left here. Uh, if we include our, our exit song, you're at about 15. So we got an, oh. enough time for a couple more calls. All right. Let's hit, um, let's go to Daniel from Newark. Welcome to the show. Yes, hello. Hello, Daniel. Welcome to the show. Hello. How are you guys doing? Good. Speak up, please. Um, 
So my question was, how do I stay away from old friends and old places that will trigger me? When you say how, what do you mean? Like uh, whenever I'm around old friends or old places, like how can I stay away from those places and prevent them from triggering me? Um, well, the real, the real truth answer is you can't. You can't hide from everything that's going to be a trigger for you. What you have to do is learn how to deal with the triggers and get to them, get them to the point where they're no longer impactful. So you have to be able to go around your old haunts and, and, and it doesn't cause you to make a bad decision or cause you to do something you shouldn't do. You have to be able to see old people, greet old people, but they don't cause you to go and make a bad decision. It's all about you. It's not about the others. You can't run and hide from uh, from these things. Some of the things you can. Some people might say, okay, I'm, I'm not going to the club anymore, so they don't go to the club. But that's not going to stop you from not seeing and, and or, or being around things that might trigger you. There's always going to be something. So what you should do is change your question, and it goes back to you, from – not how do I uh, avoid, how do I deal with when I encounter it? That should be what your goal is. How do I learn to deal with it when I encounter these things? You understand what I'm saying? Daniel? Yeah. Did you hear me? Yep. Okay. all I got. All right. All right, sir. Thank you. Thank you. People sound like they're calling from uh, from the moon. <laughs> like, also, it's maybe 19, like it's 1960s technology. <laughs> also, maybe, uh, you know, some callers may not like the answer. Some may be hoping to hear something else. True, true that, true that. You can't, yeah, you can't run from or hide from every possible trigger. Right. All right, let's go to Ron from Pacifica. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Welcome. I have uh, been a chronic cocaine abuser for the majority of 15 years. I've never tried another illicit substance. Uh, I've never smoked a cigarette. Um, I haven't had hard alcohol or marijuana for that matter. But I'm dedicated after 15 years, finally, to resolving this life of misery that I've lived for the past 15 years. And I'm more than willing to avail myself to every and any possible resource that is currently available. At present, I'm an OCG, and I am um, doing a lot of listening and a lot of learning. Um, Prior to getting to OCG, I 
did some reading about a uh, organization called IMAT. And IMAT uh, was advertising some medications that were available for substance abuse. And I spoke briefly with them, and they referred me back to either a PCP, uh, primary care physician, let me clarify that, or a psychiatrist or psychologist. And then I uh, did some of what they had indicated to me I should do, and I found a couple of medications, but I'm not um, terribly thrilled with anabuse in particular, even though that was, uh, per the Internet, the number one most successful. Why are you... What, what is, what's the reason why you were looking into medications? I wanted to avail myself to every and anything, including but not limited to medication, uh, with respect to fighting uh, the chronic cocaine abuse and use. And there were medications okay, out let me, there that let me, were... And let, me, let me stop you. Sure. Were you looking for something to deal with the cravings? Not necessarily the cravings. I wanted something to... Re, uh, re, hmm, readjust or reassess or undo my uh, inhibitors, or not inhibitors, but my... Okay, I'm going to stop you right the, here. The, the dopamine, I, I wanted to be able to release dopamine that was... Uh, Ron? Yes. I'm going to stop you right there because I want to make sure okay. we don't run out of time, okay? Okay, okay. I, want you, I just want you to listen. Okay. I'm cover two things real quick. Okay. Number one, the most critical thing that you said, which is the most, which is what you should focus on, and you more than anyone knows this, your primary and only drug of abuse was cocaine. Yes. Okay. They have not invented yet a drug that's going to do what you're requesting. That's why I specifically asked you, were you looking for something to help with the craving? And if you said, and you said no. So put that to the side for a second. The major concern that people in the industry had about people who had long-term abuse of cocaine, mm-hmm. okay, the major concern they had with them was them suffering from something called anhedonia, H-E-D-O-N-I-A. When you get a chance, Google it. I'm writing it right now as we speak, okay. All right. And that is, and it's something that's, for whatever reason, specifically suffered by heavy cocaine addicts, okay? Okay. And it has to do with them after long-term abuse or use, okay, mm-hmm. their inability to experience pleasure. Thank you. Okay. Yes. Yes. And it ties into the how the pleasure receptors are impacted due to long-term cocaine abuse. Now we're That's not going to talk about all that here because we don't have a lot of time. Right. So okay. in terms of pharmacology, they haven't gotten there yet. If you went to them and say, look, I'm abusing cocaine. I need something to help me stop. That's different. Mm-hmm. Okay. But if you are able to get into treatment and by being in treatment creates mm-hmm. the stop, we're now just dealing with, okay, if, I'm not, if, I'm, if the cravings have subsided, sure. what am I going to do moving forward to make sure I don't return to using? Okay. Okay, and that's not so much a medication thing as a psychological thing. 
Okay. All right. Okay. But uh, how much with, how much time we have, Mr. Q? We don't. We, we, don't we have still have about five minutes. Okay, go ahead, Ron. Last part. Uh, I appreciate the information you've given me thus far. Mm-hmm. So, an abuse is something that does help with the stop button. Uh, correct or incorrect? Yeah, and abuse, it helps with a stop button for a number of things because if you use if you use cocaine while you're on ant abuse, you're going to have a significant <laughs> physical reaction to it. Sure. So okay. right. it, it's, right. it's, it's, you know, if someone says, hey, I don't have a means of stopping. See, tr- someone right. coming into residential treatment is right. considered a means of stopping. Okay. Because they sure. don't have access right. to it unless right. they leave. Right. Go and use, but by coming into residential treatment, quote unquote, they they, you know, they don't have access to it. Right. So, and and you, I'm sure you could help me. What 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 would you say to some of the information that's on the internet about GABA blockers or uh, dopamine inhibitors with respect to the release of cocaine? And then the third one that also popped up was a medication that would uh, reset your um, the the not the inhibitors, but the help me on this, please. The ability to release dopamine when you are doing normal activities that people who aren't addicts are able to feel pleasure from. They on the internet they say there is medications available, and they named a couple of them, and I wrote them down. But is that is that not just not factual? Okay, so where they're at now, okay. Mm-hmm. I don't know. They're they are just now, Mr. Producer. If you remember, two years ago, one of our first shows, and we had Dr. David Dichon. I do remember. Right, and and what he the studies that he was doing in terms of the uh, the all of the the brain um, studies that they were doing um, in terms of how the drug abuse impacts the brain, and then studying. After the person has stopped using for a period of time, the changes that take place in the brain in terms of the brain healing or not healing, right. depending on the right. drug of choice, et cetera. Okay? Okay. Okay. They've never said that for long-term cocaine users that the brain does not heal. Okay. Okay. What they've okay. said is, is that long-term cocaine abusers tend to – not every one of them, by the way, just they sure. should notice this with cocaine addicts – Tend to suffer from this because of whatever that the cocaine does to the to the receptors. Okay. Okay. But it is not a permanent affliction. So usually, okay. people that have been in treatment a long time, so maybe in the early stages, okay, they right. have to work through this. But as their body starts to recover, and even our okay. subject matter today, they get proper sleep. They start to get proper nutrition. They start to get right. back on us. Their biorhythms get back in in force. Okay. Okay. And get get back engaged. Over time, that you know the 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 suffering of the anhedonia goes away. I've never read that anhedonia is a permanent affliction. Okay. Well, I thank you. And about for those medications you spoke about, and about those medications, yeah. sure. I personally am not aware of them. I do know that they are working on things. Okay. To help other drug abusers other than heroin and alcohol. Okay. Um, thank you, and I appreciate the uh, communication today. You're very welcome. Thank you for calling. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
So how much time we got, sir? Got about a minute and a half here. Last time I was just rambling, and then you snuck up on me and said, time's up. (laughs) Time's up. Yeah, Um, we got about a minute and a half. So just recapping our conversation with Ron, that a lot of people don't realize that oftentimes, you know, the stop is going into treatment. Right, right. That's my stop button. Yeah, that's the emergency break. Exactly. And even though it may be difficult in terms of, you know, my physical experience and or my psychological experience, it still serves as a stop button. And so um, we want to be judicious in our use, our, our advocacy, our recommendation of of medication because we don't want that we don't want it to flip where that becomes the first source and going into treatment the second source you know what i'm saying right right yep we understand them working in conjunction we understand them working in partnership but kind of like what Ron was talking about almost was the um, searching for something that's going to be the stop. No, the stop right. is the treat being in the treatment. Now, if you're an exactly. outpatient, that's different. If you're an outpatient, that's different. Of course. Yeah, you're going you're back exposed. to the same old every day. Right. right. You're still exposed. So that was a good call. Good call. Absolutely. All right. Hit us with your sign off because I'm going to wrap it up. Um, hopefully we, we still have some more technical stuff to work out. Not talking about the block talk stuff that happened today, but some other issues that, uh, some are getting worked on tomorrow, Mr. Producer. Um, yeah, I don't yep. know if you're aware of them, but, um, and then of course we got to work on our headsets because n- n- neither one of our new headsets worked today. That's right. That was, that was probably the first sign of things to come. That's right. <laughs> yeah, good, good. That was the beginning omen. All yep. right, perfect. Well, um, if if you do a show in two weeks, you'll be flying the plane solo. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the next time the audience hears from me, I will have some European adventures to share. Yep. Um, but uh, outside, and as per usual, you will be receiving texts from the airports as aircrafts approach because my wife and I know you are a fan of such things. And uh, that's about it. So we uh, hope everyone continues to enjoy their summer vacation while it lasts. We wish everybody a safe couple of weeks. Look forward to talking to you all the next time. We're going to take you out with some music here, and we will catch you all on the next episode, as it were. Thank you all for your continued support. We really do appreciate it. We will chat with you all soon.
I'm searching for that silver lining Horizons that I've never seen Oh, I'd like to take just a moment And bring my dream Oh, bring my dream Oh
That's our show for this evening. Thank you for listening. Be sure to listen to our next broadcast Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG Radio. Like us, friend us, and follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash OCGWorkCA and on Twitter at OCGWorkCA. You can listen to podcasts of all our shows on iTunes under Roach on Recovery or on our Blog Talk Radio homepage. This has been a presentation of OCG Recovery Radio.